I'm excited because today we get to celebrate Easter morning. We get to celebrate the most important day of the year, the most important event in history, the, the day of which we, we celebrate the anniversary of this every year that, that commemorates the, the greatest day in all of history. And, and that day will be the time that we celebrate, you know, Osterhauser, right? We all know Osterhauser, the great German tradition that was brought to America in the 17th century of the Easter bunny, right? That's what this is about. The Easter, no, obviously, we're not here to celebrate the Easter bunny, but but yet, you wouldn't know that going to the stores. But the reason I say that is for many of you, if you've not grown up in the church, maybe you did and you've walked away, to you, the idea of Easter, the idea of a risen Jesus, might be just as possible as worshiping an Easter bunny, a bunny that lays eggs on one day a year. Right? It may seem the same. You, you, may, you may be a skeptic and thinking, the idea of the cross is no greater than that, no more realistic. And, and, and you may be someone who would even mock the idea of a resurrection to your friends. And, and I get that. I understand why you can mock it. You may, you may think the whole idea is nonsense, that it's just ridiculous. And maybe someone that you would think that, that actually believes in this idea of a, of a real Jesus who died and then rose from the dead, people that believe that, they are like the most to be pitied in the whole world. Because what an insane idea to hold to a belief like that. And if you're a skeptic like that, you're actually in really good company. Not just with other skeptics of the world today, but because you're in great company with skeptics going all the way back 2,000 years. There have been so many skeptics over the years, and right around the time of Christ, there were so, so many. And so you're in really good company. If, if that's kind of your view, you're actually in company with the Apostle Paul. Quite a famous guy who actually used to put to death any that he could find that were actually promoting the idea that Jesus might have raised from the dead. He was so convinced it wasn't true and so angry at the idea that he put to death so many people and encouraged it of those who would actually believe in this crazy idea. You'd be in company actually with Mary Magdalene who Jesus encountered when he was alive and who she had seven demons cast out of her. But when she saw that Jesus had died, she had no hope in a resurrection. She was a complete skeptic that even when she saw an empty grave, it didn't do anything to convince her that Jesus could be alive or that he had raised from the dead. You'd be in company with all of Jesus' disciples if you think the resurrection isn't real. Jesus' closest friends and his followers, those who had followed him for three years, heard every single word of his teaching. When Jesus died, they didn't believe for a second that he was coming back. None of them had hope in the resurrection. In fact, we get the story of when the women, of, or, or, of the women who went to see Jesus first, when they come back and tell his own disciples what had happened to him, it tells us in Luke 24, here's where it picks up in verse 9, it says, the woman rushed back from the tomb to tell the 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the disciples, and they wouldn't believe it. It sounded like nonsense, like it was ridiculous that Jesus could be alive. This was his closest disciples and his closest friends. And then the next verse, in verse 12, it says, However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Now, Peter was Jesus' closest friend. With John, he was on that inner circle, knew him better than anyone else. And it says, stooping, he peered into the empty tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings that had been wrapped around Jesus, and then he went home again, wondering what had happened. Even Peter had no concept or thought that the resurrection was, was possible. He was a complete skeptic. When he saw an empty tomb, his response was to go away and leave, confused as to where the heck could they have taken Jesus' body. Even Peter didn't believe Jesus would raise from the dead. He had zero hope of a resurrection. If you think the resurrection is impossible, you're also in the company of Jesus' own mother, Mary who though she gave birth to him and even had the words from God telling her that this was his son, she did not believe the resurrection was possible. 
And that story, even after seeing the empty tomb, again is told in, in Luke 24, where it says, very early on the Sunday morning, the women, and verse 10 tells us Mary's in that group, went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, and they found that the tomb, so the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. And so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And so they should celebrate. But instead, it says, she's puzzled. Why? Why is she perplexed? Why is she bringing the spices to the tomb that morning, first thing? Because what she was expecting to find is what dead people do is they die and they stay dead. And so she went there to try and get put the spices upon Jesus' dead body. Not so that he would raise from the dead, but to, that was the embalming process, the anointing process for the dead with no expectation or hope that he would ever return. That's his own mother. And so if you're a skeptic, you're in great company. In fact, you're in a company with all of Jesus' family. Because not a single one of Jesus' family, not his brothers, not a, or any one of them other than his mom, believed he was even the son of God. In fact, it tells us the story in Mark chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Then Jesus went home, and the crowds gathered again, so they could not even eat. These huge crowds are gathering to hear Jesus. And when his family heard of it, his own family, they went out and they seized him, and they were, for they were saying, He's out of his mind. Jesus' own family thought Jesus was crazy. They didn't believe a word he was saying. In fact, it says in John chapter 7, verse 5, not even his brothers believe in him. So if you're a skeptic, you're in great company. I mean, if this all feels ridiculous, you're kind of right. If the resurrection didn't really happen, this is truly insane to worship this, this man who, who says he rose from the dead. If, the actual, if Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, then all of Christianity is a complete joke. It's just a farce. In fact, that, in fact, that's exactly what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, If Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless. And your faith is useless, he says, of no value. And you are still guilty of your sins, he says. Verse 18, in that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, he says, we are more to be pitied than anyone in all the world. We are more to be pitied than anyone in all the world. That's what Paul says if this resurrection isn't true. In fact, later when Paul is preaching in Athens in Acts chapter 17, he just finishes telling about the resurrection, and here's the response in verse 32. It says, now when they, that's the Athenians, heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked him. So according to Paul, if the resurrection isn't real, following Jesus is no better than following the Easter bunny. There's no value there. If the resurrection isn't real, Christianity is just a fable about a crazy person who claimed he was God and would one day raise from the dead. If the resurrection isn't real, Jesus is still dead. The gospel is useless, and your faith is useless if you have it, and you are still dead in your sins if the resurrection isn't real. As Paul said, we are above all to be pitied of anyone in the world. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, there is no hope for anyone. This is all there is. You see, after Jesus died, there were no Christians. A after Jesus died, there were no believers. After Jesus died, there was no church. After Jesus died, he had no followers. After Jesus died, everybody gave up hope. 
No one believed that Jesus would rise from the dead. No one. On the third day after Jesus died, he, all of his disciples are gathered together, scared and hiding in a locked room where they locked the door. They were so terrified of what might happen next. Everyone was disillusioned. No one had hope. Not Jesus' mom, not his brother, not his followers, not even his brother James. No one was talking about Jesus coming back. Everything that Jesus said, everything that he did, every promise he gave was buried in that tomb. No one had hope after his death. All hope was obliterated. Have you ever felt hopeless? Have you ever felt that this is all there is, there can't be more than this? Or that God feels distant, or that he's not answering to your prayers, or his promises seem unfulfilled? Imagine being so hopeless... So convinced that Jesus could never raise from the dead, that all of his promises are dead and gone, that you could see an empty tomb and walk and see the place where you knew he was just laid, and you could see angels sitting, one at his foot and one where his head used to be, and you could be so hopeless that then you could look into the face of a resurrected man named Jesus, and he could be talking to you, and you still refuse to believe that it's Jesus because all of your hope is that far gone. That's the story of Mary Magdalene. See, we, we, we get that story in the, in, in the Bible because all of her hope died with Jesus. And we hear the story, and it's in John chapter 20. It says, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the, that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. And she ran and she found Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. And we don't know where they have put him. And so she goes with the other woman to the tomb and she finds it empty and she assumes the worst. No part of her thinks of a resurrection. Nothing there. She assumes the worst. Someone has come and stolen his body. In fact, she assumes they've likely desecrated and something terrible has come. And so she runs and tells the disciples. And John and Peter take off running to the tomb and then she slowly makes her way back, distraught and hopeless. And we pick it up in verse 11. And it says, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And crying is the right word. The Greek word there is wailing. She was hopelessly distraught. Just standing there, just wailing that Jesus is gone. All of her hope is gone. And it says, as she wept, she stooped in and she looked inside. And she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been laying. Dear woman, he says, why are you crying? The angels ask her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied. And I don't know where they've put him. She's distraught. She doesn't know what happened to him. And so again here, she, she looks inside the tomb and she sees two angels. And one of the few times where someone sees an angel, they don't freak out. I think she was so hopelessly distraught and overwhelmed with emotion that even the sight of the angels wasn't crazy to her. She was just couldn't, she was beside herself. And all she wants to know is, where is the body of Jesus? Not where is he, where is his dead body? Because she knows she's gone and she just wants to preserve the body, to honor it. So it's not desecrated. And in that pain and loss and hopelessness, it says in verse 14, she turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying, Jesus asked. And Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? 
She thought he was the gardener. And she says, sir, she said, if you've taken him, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. I mean, do you hear the story of what's happening? She literally turns away in in, in hopelessness and walks away and she sees someone and it's Jesus and he calls out to her. And he says, who are you looking for? And looking right at Jesus, hearing his voice, she says, please tell me where have you put him? She's looking right into his face, hearing his words in her ears, talking right at him. And she's so hopeless. She's so given up that she doesn't even recognize her Savior and Lord. And that moment, everything changes because the next verse, it says, Jesus calls out, Mary. And she turned to him and cries out, Rabbi, which is the word for teacher in Hebrew. And, and notice the language there. It says she turns to him. She had already turned away from Jesus. She was already walking away from him because she knew there was no hope until he calls out Mary. And all of a sudden, the world changes. All of her hopelessness immediately is gone after she encounters the risen Jesus Christ. Her life would never be the same. All doubt flees in an instant. In fact, just a few verses later, it tells us the story of Thomas, who for some reason we often call doubting Thomas. But that's ridiculous because literally everyone was doubting. There was no one who was doubting John, doubting, doubting Peter, doubting everyone, doubting Mary. Everyone was doubting at that point. And the story of him is incredible because after this point, Jesus already showed up to the disciples. But Thomas wasn't there when he showed up. He wasn't, as Lin-Manuel and Hamilton would say, in the room where it happened right he wasn't there he wasn't in the room and so because he wasn't there he 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 didn't believe it and so the disciples tell him thomas jesus showed up here he is risen and thomas says not a chance i don't believe it there's no way that that happened he was so convinced that jesus would never resurrect he knew it was absolutely impossible even though his closest friends were spending eight days telling him this and here was his response when they spoke to him in john chapter 20 verse 25 he says they the disciples They told him, we have seen the Lord. Look at Thomas' response. But Thomas replies, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, no matter how much of a skeptic you are, I I get the idea of skepticism, but this is a whole other level of skepticism. He says, the only way I will believe what you, my closest friends in the world, have said is if I don't just see Jesus, but if then I get to take my fingers and stick it through the hole in his hand, if I then get to take my hand and stick it into his side. I, I mean, this was way before Hollywood, makeup magic and holograms or anything like that. And he's saying, just seeing it is not enough. I want to stick my finger in it. I mean, that's just weird and creepy, to be honest. Like, that's just, that's a level of skepticism that I think is just weird and off the charts. But it tells you, what does it tell you about Thomas? He was done. He had spent three years of his life giving his life for Jesus. He's saying, no more. I will not waste another ounce of energy on this fool who led me astray and has died and all my hopes have died with him. So there is nothing that will ever cause me to believe in him again. The only way I would do it is I could literally stick my fingers in his hands. There is no hope here. He is gone. So what happens? For eight days, his friends tell him, no, it's real, it's real. He's like, stop talking to me. It isn't. Until Jesus shows up eight days later. And it says it in verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, Thomas. And he says, look at my hands, Jesus says. And he says, take your hand and put it into my side. 
feel it. I know you doubt, but I am real. Jesus says, do not be faithless any longer, Thomas. And Thomas's response, my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. And hope is restored again. You see, until that moment, no one believed the resurrection. All hope was gone. The entire movement of Christianity was birthed on that day when Jesus rose from the dead, and that day there were no more skeptics in that room. And I recognize there's many skeptics today. There are very few academic or informed skeptics that are actually skeptic that Jesus was real or that even died on a cross. There's too much historical evidence for that outside of Scripture to show that Jesus was real and he actually was crucified. But skeptics today, they would often say that maybe the resurrection was faked or or, they were just probably trying to start a new religion. And I want to be honest, if the disciples were trying trying to start a new religion and Jesus was, they're the greatest idiots to ever make an attempt at it, right? They were just dumb in how they went about trying to do it. Because when you read the accounts of the four Gospels, it's the women who were the primary testifiers of what happened. The whole movement of Christianity is based upon the testimony of women. And at that time, women's voices had no power. They couldn't even give testimony in a court of law. If you want to start a religion, you definitely don't start it with women being your primary source of testimony. At that time, that was insane. And not only that, they chose Mary Magdala, who just had seven demons cast out of her, so she was not a respectable source to begin with. The entire movement of Christianity is based upon their testimony to begin with, which is absolutely insane. And yet, so if this is what they're doing, the disciples, they were absolute fools if this is what they're trying to do, is start a religion. Because the reality is, they weren't trying to start a religion. They were running around like chickens with their heads cut off. They had no idea what was going on at the time. Right? And then the biggest theory that even now and back then of what happened at the resurrection, what people would often say is that, you know, maybe the disciples stole the body. That's kind of the, the biggest thing, the, the theory that's still alive today, or maybe that Jesus didn't actually really die. Those are kind of the two major options that are often given is when people try to explain it away. But I can tell you there's no way that someone could steal that body. And the reason is because they're talking about the disciples doing it. And the disciples were an absolute mess. Peter was literally running away from teenage girls that night. That's how terrified and what a coward he was, right? He couldn't even stand up to teenage girls in that night. The rest of the disciples were cowering in fear in a locked room. There is no way in any chance, in any, any, any possible chance, that these cowards got up the courage to go attack a Roman guard that was fully trained and fully armed, unsealed a tomb, and walked away with a body when no one noticed. Not a chance. So what if maybe Jesus didn't actually die? And that's even more ridiculous. Because Jesus... Not before he, he, was, he was crucified, he was flogged 39 times by a cat of nine tails with par- shards of pottery and bones stuck in it that when they hit it for 39 times, it ripped off the skin and the flesh. And so by the time they were done, he could barely stand, barely move. He was unrecognizable. It says he likely had to turn around and take all the flesh off the front side because all the flesh on the back was gone. And not only did they do that where he could barely move, then they stuck a crown of thorns into his skull, putting so much pressure and exhausting him that they made him carry his cross to the hill. They then crucified him where he sat naked on a cross, crucified all day long. Then they take him a spear and they stabbed him in the side with it to make sure he was dead. And then they wrap him in 75 pounds of embalming spices and wrap him in grave clothes, clothes and stick him in a sealed tomb. So some people would say, then after three days, Jesus pops out and says, I'm not dead. Right? This is all just my great ploy to be able to try and get people to convince that I actually am God and I'm going to disappear forever in a few weeks and be gone forever. But all of this is some giant ploy. Not a chance. Not a chance in a million years. 
There's obviously no great plot of the disciples at work here. Their plot, if it was, is, is no better organized than if my four-year-old Caleb, like when he tries to hide from me and scare us, where he kind of sits behind a corner of a wall with his whole body sticking out, just his head covered. And he's like, Daddy, come find me. And, and I walk out and I see him and stand and he goes, Boo! Right? And I have to act surprised. I mean, that, that's like the level of coordination that it would take to pull this off with the disciples the way they tried to do it. Right? It's insane. In fact, if you have any interest in the validity of the resurrection, if that's an issue for you, there are so many incredible resources out there. I don't have time to get into it today, but whether it be just like a cheapie, just for a couple bucks on Amazon, you can get the case for Easter, which is by a, an investigative journalist that's, that's just a couple bucks, or if you're kind of in the middle level of interest, you can get something like the case for the resurrection of Jesus by Dr. Gary Habermas, which is a wonderful like, overview of, of what's going on. There. But if you're really, really a skeptic and you want an actual scholar, N.T. Wright, who's the greatest living legend alive on the ancient Near East, he wrote an incredible 850-page home on detailed historical breakdown of every evidence that's given for that. and I'd highly recommend it. But something happened that day that changed the world. Something that no one could create and no one could con. Jesus rose from the dead and he confirmed that everything he said was true. Prior to that moment, life was going on as normal, but after that moment, life would never be the same. Because if Jesus really did rise from the dead, it means everything he said is true. If Jesus really did rise from the dead, it means he's not just a good teacher. He's not just a wise sage, but every promise he gave is true. It means he has broken the power of death, and he truly is the source of eternal life. Every one of the disciples' lives was about to radically change because Jesus did not just save them from death and from their sin, but he saved them to a new life in him. He called them from death to life, not just from sin to no sin, but from death to life in him. I mean, Peter, just a couple days ago, he was terrified that he was hiding in the dark and running away from teenage girls. And now Peter steps out and boldly preaches to the crowds at his own peril and where he is joyfully imprisoned and joyfully goes to his death eventually where he is crucified just like Christ because he is so convinced of what he witnessed in the resurrection of Christ. Or you get James, the brother of Jesus, and this one's amazing because what would it take for you to believe your sibling is God, right? I'm guessing it would take something pretty big to be able to do that. And and James was in that place. He grew up with Jesus. In fact, when the people were around him, he's the one that was saying, or his brothers and him were the ones saying, Jesus is crazy. Just a few years ago, he was saying, Jesus is crazy. And when Jesus was out doing stuff, he literally pulled him back into the house saying, he's got mental health issues. He's pleased crazy. Let's just let him go. Don't hurt him. Don't hurt us. We'll take him in the house now. That's James, Jesus' brother. In fact, he's so convinced that Jesus did not resurrect from the dead, that everything that Jesus did, he was convinced had no impact upon him believing that Jesus was the son of God. And yet after the resurrection... This same James was the one who becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. This same James is the one that goes to his death as he is stoned from the, at the temple, as he refuses to recant his belief that Jesus is the Son of God and rose from the dead as he's the leader of the church. Now, this is James who saw Jesus perform miracle after miracle after miracle and never believed of who he was. James who heard all of his teachings and never believed a single word of it. James who saw Jesus die on the cross and still didn't believe But when Jesus rose from the dead, even his brother James realized, truly he is Lord. The skeptic became a believer. And within just a few weeks of this moment, 3,000 people will witness witness what Christ did in the resurrection, give their lives to Christ. 
And a couple decades after that, Jesus, we have, uh, of Jesus' death, we have records, even from Rome, as far away from, as Rome, of thousands and thousands of believers who are following Christ. And so many, they're going to their death as Nero starts putting them to death by this massive numbers because they will not worship Nero, the emperor, and they keep following this man named Jesus. It was not a plot. After the truth of the resurrection and that it has all continued to this day where right now one in three people in the world follow Christ and believe in the resurrection. From every tribe and tongue, almost every single tribe and tongue and nation on this planet. It's not limited to a certain tribal group, but it's across the world. And so why do I share all this? Because if you are a skeptic this morning, I understand you're in great company. Jesus' closest friends and family and even his followers were all skeptics. None of them believed in him. Oswald Chambers, the, the author of My Almost for His Highest, he says, he says, doubt is not a sign that man is wrong. It may be a sign that he is thinking. But an amazing thing happened that Easter day almost 2,000 years ago. The skeptics became believers. Their lives were forever changed. The hopeless were filled with hope. Amen? Now, I recognize many people have at one time followed Jesus, but their experiences in church or or watching other Christians may have pushed them away. And I'm pretty sure if you fit into that category, if you were to come and tell me why you no longer follow Jesus, I would be able to go point by point with you and agree with pretty much every single point. It could be you got tired of Christian uh, nationalism and the mixture of Christianity and politics. And for that, I'd say amen. It it could be that maybe you've gotten tired of of what you see as a lack of empathy and engagement of Christians with social issues that aren't abortion. And for that, again, I would say amen. It could be that the hypocrisy in the church of, of seeing people that are believers and other Christians has pushed you away. It could be a disbelief of how a good God could allow suffering in the world and could allow horrific things to happen. It could be that maybe you've been wounded by someone in the church or actually people in the church themselves. And and for that, I would just say, I'm sorry. But I need to tell you that the the reason that I follow Christ is not because of what I see in the church. It is not of what I see in the lives of Christians or teachings that I've even had from the church. I mean, today, the, the greatest cause of atheism and agnosticism is actually Christians. Christians who, with their mouths, claim that they follow Jesus, but with their lives do not reflect his life or his love in any way. And so that's not, not, the reason I follow Christ isn't what I even see in the world around me. It's not what Christians say or what they act or, or even what's written in the Bible. That's not why I follow Jesus. Because the truth is, every story in the Bible all of those things that are in the Bible that I'm telling, to, sorry, all the stories I'm telling today, they, were, they, were, they were all happened well before the Bible was written, obviously. They happened far before, and tens of thousands of people were following Christ before the Bible was ever written. Right? The Gospels weren't written for decades after Jesus had died. And yet people followed him because they encountered the risen Lord and those who had witnessed him. And so the reason I follow Jesus isn't because of what I've seen. It's because Jesus raised from the dead, and there are countless testimonies of that reality, and I know that he is real. The term Christian was actually at that time coined, and it was given to those people who were following Christ. That's where the term Christian comes from. It wasn't Christ, no one called themselves, I'm saying a Christian. It was other people who called them Christians who were saying, you guys live your lives just like that Jesus guy. And that's why they were called Christians. But I recognize today so many Christians use that title of it themselves that aren't actually following Jesus and aren't actually reflecting Jesus to the world. They've co-opted the title to simply mean, I believe that Jesus existed. 
But you know, at the time, if that was the definition, everyone alive would have been called a Christian because everyone at that time believed Jesus existed, even those who denied he rose from the dead. Christianity is not based upon what people have done or what the church has done, but it's based upon Jesus, on the reality of Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection from the dead. And what separates Jesus from every other person and every other religion is that Jesus didn't just say he was going to rise from the dead, but he actually did. And that there is an empty tomb because our Savior has risen from the dead. And it's why Easter is not just the most important day in the history of the world for Christians, but for non-Christians as well, because it wasn't just for those who believe for him, but it's for all. Martin Luther called this the great exchange where Christ offers us, he takes upon himself our sin, and he offers us his righteousness and his life and his love, because everything he did, everything that Jesus did was to draw us back into relationship with him, because everything Jesus said is it's true, and therefore everything, every promise Jesus gave is true, and God actually wants to be in relationship with us today. The creator of the cosmos wants nothing more than to be in relationship with us. And if he actually raised from the dead, it means we can live with hope, knowing that there is life after this life. There is an eternal life. And why? Because Jesus said so. And when the dude who predicts his death, follows all the prophecy, then dies, raises from the dead, comes and says, come with me into heaven, you can believe him. It's real. And he spoke about it constantly, that... Even the greatest scholars at that time who had no understanding of heaven began to believe in heaven because of him because eternal life is real. We're going to be talking about this next week, actually, where we're going to be talking after the baptism, we're talking about what Jesus said about eternal life, that eternal life isn't just going somewhere when we die, but this eternal kind of life that he invites us into right now, that we get to know God, the God of the universe, the creator of the cosmos here and now in this life. And we get to walk with him and experience his love here and now. Because God, from the beginning of time, created mankind for relationship with himself. That we could be in relationship with him. It's what we were created for. Just as a parent has children, hopefully, because they want relationship with those kids. Not just to be worshipped by those children, but they want fellowship, relationship with those kids. Where does that longing come from, of a parent to have kids? That longing comes because we are made in the image of God. And God is God's longing for us, that we would have relationship with him. It's why we exist. It's, it's what he created us for. And it's why just 30 years after Jesus' death, one of his closest friends who denied Jesus and then kept denying him and then ran from the cross, who was convinced that Jesus would never raise from the dead, even when he was staring at an empty tomb, Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, who became the boldest of disciples after the resurrection, he writes in his letter in 1 Peter chapter 1, he says this, Praise be to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. In Christ, we have a living hope. Because Jesus has risen from the dead. He has broken the power of death. He has taken the penalty for our sin and he has secured our salvation. And he has given us hope that we can dwell with him now and for all of eternity. Jesus is our hope. 
And whether you've known Jesus your entire life or whether you used to follow him and maybe now you've walked away or if you've never known him at all, the God of the universe created us so that we can be in relationship with him now and for all eternity and we have hope in him. His love for us is greater than we could ever comprehend. No matter what you've heard about God or what you've seen about God, his singular motivation towards you is love. That is his motivation towards you, is love, a loving kindness of God who wants you to know him and experience his life. And he doesn't just save us from sin and destruction, but he saves us to a new life in him where he empowers us to walk away from death and walk away from our sin and our brokenness and to experience his life and joy. And Jesus invites us into a life of knowing him to experience his eternal kind of life here and now, to die to our old life that leads to pain and death and to experience his life that leads to hope and joy and now and for all eternity. This is, in fact, the symbolism of baptism. And next week, we're going to have three, a few different baptisms, and I encourage you to come back for that. But baptism is the whole idea is that it's a symbol of we go below the water and we die to the old life. And then as we come up, we are born again into the new life in Christ. And, and please come last next week for baptisms. And, and if you have never been baptized and want to be, come talk to us today and we can add you to the, to, to, to the rest of them that are getting done. And, but Jesus' invitation is for us to experience life in him. And that invitation is available to all of us right now. In fact, if you're a follower of Jesus, maybe today is a day to remember that Jesus is, invi- is truly our living hope today. And his resurrection means that every single promise he ever gave is true. And if you ever feel like Mary Magdalene, maybe hopelessly looking around for Jesus, you don't need to give up because he is our hope and his resurrection proves that his promises are true. And that's for those that know Jesus. But There's this incredible passage in Acts chapter 17 that I want to read. There's three responses of the people when Paul preaches. And it's this, and it starts in verse 32, and he says, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to mock. Right, we already looked at that, and and some were mocking. And if some of you are in that place today, I get it. This all sounds ridiculous. It's no better than the Easter bunny, and I understand. I I know that God is still working in your heart, whether you believe it or not, and I trust that he'll continue that work. But if this is just silly and nonsense, you're in good company. A lot of people felt that way until they recognized it was real. But then Paul goes on, he says, but others said, we will hear you again about this. Right? They, they, They heard what Paul said, and they're like, you know what? I'm not ready to commit my life to this, but I'm really curious. Something that was said, something that was done, they're like, I need to learn more. I'm coming back to hear more. And maybe some of you, you resonate with that. And if that's you, if there's something about that was said today that you're recognizing, or God, the Spirit's moving your heart in some way, and you're like, I'm stirred in some way, but I'm not going to be something crazy like go give my life to Christ, but I sure have a lot of questions. I want to encourage you to take that Connect card and just make note of that, that I'd like to explore more and put it in the back box. And we'd love to get in contact with you and start an Explorer group, or even meet one-on-one and just talk about some of those questions that you may have and, and begin talking about those things. But then there was this third group. There was this third group that Paul talks about. And the third group, it said, they joined him and believed. They'd heard enough and they were ready to believe. And in Acts chapter 2, I love this. And, and Peter, he preached his first sermon to the crowds after Jesus raised from the dead. And, and here is what happens after he preaches a sermon. He says, what must we do to be saved is what the people are asking. They heard them, I say, what must we do to be saved? And Peter says this, he says in verse 38, he replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And so this morning, I want to invite 
Anyone who would like to experience a new life in Christ today. Anyone's feeling a, a tug in your heart to say yes to Jesus and yes to experiencing his life and his love this morning. Whether it be the first time you've ever done it, whether you've been following Jesus at different times in your life and you've walked away and you know it's time to come back and to get your life right with him again. You don't need to have your life together already. In fact, it's better if you don't have your life together because Jesus says that he came for the broken and the hurting, not the righteous and those who were doing it all right. You don't have to have your theology all worked out on heaven and hell and all the rest of it. Jesus wants to do that with you. Jesus isn't even waiting for you to turn your life around. He wants to help you do it. He's just looking for hearts to say yes to him. To come just as you are. So don't be like Peter and be afraid of the crowds and, and, and run away. But Easter is the greatest day in the history of the world. And today it can be the greatest day of your life as well. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, right now, pray you would speak to our hearts, Lord. For those who know they've walked away from you, Jesus, or, or completely deconstructed their faith. Jesus, right now, draw their hearts back to you, Jesus. Give them the boldness to respond to your voice this morning, Lord. For those who have been hurt by the church or, or by other Christians, Jesus, draw them back to you this morning, Lord. Because you are truth. No matter what false things have been said. No matter how poorly your people or parents have represented you. For those who've been curious and maybe standing on the sidelines and, and watching and listening from the side, Jesus, right now, draw them into the center. Call them out to yourself right now, Jesus. Move within their hearts and to have them respond to you today, Lord. And take the first step of walking towards you today, Jesus. For those who are tired or hopeless, Lord, restore their hope this morning. For those in broken relationships and seeking value and Jobs or, or possessions, oh, Lord, draw them unto yourself. And for those who are broken and hurting, Lord, oh, Jesus. Those who are exhausted from cycles of pain and struggles with addiction and alcohol or drugs or whatever it may be that have just tried an endless cycle of this stuff of pain and heartache and maybe a failed marriage or suicidal thoughts or estranged kids that are, are walking away because of mistakes that they've made. Jesus, speak to our hearts right now. Thank you, no matter how far we run or what we have done, no matter how many poor choices we've made, Jesus, your love for us remains and your love for us is unconditional. So right now, there's something moving in your heart right now. I just want to ask that you would just pray to the Lord right now at this moment. Just ask the Lord and just say to Jesus, Jesus, I want to give my life to you. So right now, just... Some, if he's moving your heart right now, just confess it to him and say, Jesus, I want to give my life to you. You just whisper it to him. Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. Jesus has already given his life for ours. And now we can give our life to him. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Amen.